Good morning, everyone. My name is Joel. I'm the discipleship pastor here at Eagle Mont. So glad that you're with us. This week, we're going to be continuing our series, What is a Disciple? Uh, as we launched this in week one, we talked about as a church leadership, we kind of narrowed down eight key qualities or characteristics that we as a church see as being key to being a disciple of Jesus. Now, again, what is a disciple? Uh, well, a disciple is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. So this morning, we're going to dive right into our topic today, what is a disciple, and we're going to be talking about the characteristic of having Bible engagement. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with the Bible, maybe it's new to you, you only know a little bit about it. The Bible is not one book, but the Bible is actually 66 different books composed into one. Those 66 books were written by 40 different human authors over the span of 1400 years. Now the, the Bible itself, you go, why is that important to a disciple of Jesus? Well, we can find this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to that. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. We're going to look at the very first five words of that verse. It says this, all scripture, so the Bible, every book in the Bible, all scripture is God-breathed. That's a weird phrase, isn't it? Can you remember somewhere else where it says in the Bible a something is God-breathed. If we go back to Genesis, when God created all that is, and he said he took the dust of the earth and he breathed life into it, and that created mankind, that God breathes life into something. God breathed into scripture. So when we say that it is God-breathed, we're saying that it's God-inspired. Yes, there were 40 different authors that wrote the Bible, but it was actually the Holy Spirit, it was God's Spirit that directed them as to what to say. So as a church, Eaglemont Church, we believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. Again, another theological term that just means the belief that the Bible is without error or without fault in all its teaching. We also believe in biblical infallibility. What does that mean? Well, that's the belief that the Bible, what the Bible says regarding matters of faith and Christian practice is holy, useful, and true. It is a belief that the Bible is completely trustworthy as a guide to salvation and the life of faith and will not fail to accomplish its purpose. Now, there are many who will give a frequent charge of, yeah, but can we really trust the Bible? Think of all those years that it was written over and then all the years that have happened since. All the people with political agendas, I think the Bible's just been manipulated and the Bible that you and I have in our hands today is not actually accurate to what God originally stated or what he would want to stay. Well, historians actually tell us that the Bible is actually one of the most reliable and credible documents from antiquity. A lifetime of scientific study and research has led Alistair McGrath, a professor of science and religion at Oxford University and a leading scholar in textual criticism, the science of studying the Bible, to say this, we can be confident in the accuracy, authenticity, and the integrity of scriptures. This is remarkable when you think of how many different cultures and over how large of gap of time the Bible has been translated and rewritten. Uh, think about when you were a kid and you used to play the game telephone. Maybe you're like me and you did that when you're in grade school. You start and one person has to whisper the first message into a friend's ear and then you go around the circle and by the time you get to the end of the circle, the message is so distorted it doesn't look anything like it did at the start. But that's not the case with the Bible at all. We can get different copies of the Bible that are 500 years apart and from com completely different geographical areas and they will be virtually identical. 
Now, this sermon is not going to focus on the question of how can I trust the Bible? But if you're searching that out, that's a great question to look into. And I want to encourage you to do so. We've had past messages that have. If you go onto our website, you can find uh, a message on May 10th of 2020. Both Pastor Jaden and myself gave a message on uh, the problem of the Bible, talking specifically about this. How can I actually trust the Bible? Or you can look into the works of uh, the man I mentioned earlier, Alistair McGrath, who's done a lot of great research. He's a theologian and apologist and talks about the credibility of the Bible. But for our topic this morning and our focus together today, I want to really look at what is the Bible to a disciple. So right off the bat, I want us to look at five quick things of what is the Bible to a disciple. First is this. The Bible to a disciple is a source of truth. In your Bible, if you open to the book of John chapter 17, and first looking at verse 17, these are the words of Jesus. He says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word, your word is truth. It goes on in John 17 in verse 31 to 32, Jesus says this, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Why would the truth set us free? Well, we live in a world that's surrounded by many people who say they have the truth. If you turn on your TV, you can watch three different news stations and they can be talking about the same story, but give you three different points of view and facts on it. How do we know what actually is truth? Well, for a disciple, a follower of Jesus, the Bible is the groundwork. It's the absolute foundation for what we know is truth. So outside of a source of truth, the Bible is also number two, a teacher and a trainer. Going back to that verse I first quoted from 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, that all scripture is God-breathed, it goes on to say this, it's God-breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now this word teaching, it means instruction and doctrine. We get our doctrine, our beliefs from the Bible. It's for rebuking. That's a weird word that we don't use a ton. Uh, it sounds negative, but it's actually not. Rebuking here, it means conviction or uh, proof. That by which a thing is proven or tested. That we can prove and find where there is error in what we do by the Bible. And it's for correcting. Uh, again, that has a negative connotation, but it's not when the Bible is used to help correct us. Its purpose is restoration to an upright state or the improvement of life or character. And finally, training in righteousness. Righteousness or right living, correct living according to and before God. God's word helps us to know how to live the way that he ultimately wants us to, so we get the ultimate of what he wants for us in this life. The third thing that the Bible is to a disciple is the Bible is a guide. Psalm 119.105 says this, Thy word, God's word, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now, for those of you who were kids or young people growing up in the 80s, you're like me and you're getting that Amy Grant song stuck in your head right now. Sorry for the little inside there. If you weren't in church in the 80s, you can go Google Amy Grant, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. You'll just have a great flashback. But what is the point of that verse? What is it stating? It's talking about how God's word is actually supposed to help us in finding and navigating through a path of our lives. When it says that your word is a lamp unto my feet, 
At that time, there's no street lights. When you go out at night, it was dark. So how do you find your way around? They would have these little lanterns, these oil lanterns, but they didn't give a lot of light. They give just enough so you could see a step or two in front of you. God's word is practically supposed to be used in our lives. It's not just theoretical. It's actually supposed to be practical, helping to guide us to know how do we navigate the life that we live. God's word is a guide for us. Fourthly, the Bible to a disciple is to be a weapon for spiritual warfare. Again, that might sound a little weird to you, but in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul talks about how we are in a battle, and the battle isn't against flesh and blood, it's not against other people, but there is a spiritual battle. Spiritual forces, principalities and powers, Satan and his demons who are at work all around even though we can't see him. So how do we fight in that battle? Paul goes on in Ephesians 6, 6 to talk about our spiritual armor. And one of those pieces of armor, as all the other pieces of armor like the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith are all used to protect ourselves from attacks from the enemy. But there's one piece of armor that's actually used to battle against and attack the enemy. And that is the sword of the spirit, which is God's word. God's word is actually a weapon we yield against our enemy, Satan. How do we do that? Well, Jesus exemplified it in his own life. If you look in the book of Matthew, chapter four, verse 11, at this point, Jesus has been drawn out to the wilderness and he's there and, and he spends time where Satan is tempting him. Jesus hasn't eaten, hasn't drank for a long time. And here he is in the wilderness and Satan says, well, turn these stones into bread. Now, Jesus himself, the son of God, could have easily just spoken on his own behalf against Satan, but he doesn't. He gives us a model for how do we resist the temptation and, and the deception of the enemy. He says these words, it is written. We go back to what is written, what is God's word? That word is truth and we can yield that truth as a weapon against our enemy, Satan, as he tries to deceive us and lead us down paths that would be destructive for ourselves and for others. So God's word is a weapon for spiritual warfare. And finally, number five, God's word is an invitation. This is what I like to spend a little more time on for a bit because I think it's so pivotal and so important. And I think it's sometimes the thing that we really miss that is the key point of God's word. It is an invitation. It is a portal of communication. It's a bridge to relationship. When we talk about engaging the Bible, what we're talking about is wanting to hear God and listen to God and have him speak to us. Our human tendency is that we tend to view the things around us through the lens of ourself. Many will reject the Bible because when they read the Bible, they just go, I see nothing but judgment here. All it does is it points out my failures and how I don't live up and I'm not good enough. And so all they get from that is, is a sense of failure. People read the Bible and instead of being freed and finding it life-giving, it's simply a burden. Why? Because they read the Bible as if the Bible's all about them. What the Bible tells you and what it tells me, if we read it correctly, is not that at all. It's that we've all failed. And that's why we need someone to save us, a savior. And Jesus is that someone. The Bible, as my professor in Bible college used to say, is history. It's his story. It's centered not on us, but on God, and specifically on the person of Jesus. The Bible is a history of God working through Jesus to redeem his people to himself. 
See, where we fail, Jesus does not. Jesus is the better Adam. Where Adam and Eve failed the test and fell into sin, Jesus did not and defeated that test. Jesus is the better Abraham. He fully answered the call of God and never faltered in following him. Jesus is the better David, bringing his people to victory and truly ruling over his kingdom. See, the Bible isn't about you and it isn't about me. It's about him. I like this quote by philosopher Alistair McIntyre. He says this, The only way I can answer the question, what am I supposed to do, is if I can answer the prior question, what story am I part of? The Bible invites us to a better story, a story that makes sense of this crazy life and all that we face. It's an invitation to join God's story. Now, God's story has four basic plots, if you will. First, we start off with creation, God making all good so that we can have relationship with him in paradise. But then we quickly see in Genesis 3, the fall of mankind and the entrance of sin, and in that becomes separation. What we were made for, we've fallen away from and we can't get back to. And so throughout the Old Testament, we see the destructiveness of the fall, the destructiveness of sin, and through that, the, the linking of the work of God to bring a redeemer, someone who would help to bridge that gap, Jesus, so that he could finally, in the final stage, renew us to what God had ultimately always purposed for us, and that is unity in relationship with him, intimacy with him. The Bible helps give us answers for all the things we long for and face in this life. The existence of sin, the need for healing and forgiveness, a hope for transformation in our lives and others, that we are not alone nor abandoned, but we are wanted by God and called by him. That in the end, the injustice that we see in the world around us will ultimately be made right by the only one who is truly just. The Bible invites us to find our story in his story in the life and person of Jesus Christ. Listen to this. These are the words of Jesus in John chapter 5, verse 39 to 40. Jesus says this to a bunch of religious elites. They knew all the scriptures. In fact, they had memorized a ton of it. They argued back and forth with the laws and they followed them to a T. They religiously fell into following all of the laws that were there. But Jesus says this, you have your heads in your Bibles constantly, but you think you'll find eternal life there, but you miss the forest for the trees. Listen to this. He says, these scriptures, the Bible, are all about me. And here I am standing right before you and you aren't willing to receive me the life you say you want, from me the life you say that you want. We recently had Valentine's Day. So uh, think about it this way. Uh, your ladies, your boyfriend or your husband uh, who does Valentine's Day for you, he goes, I, I want to get it all right. So he takes notes. What is it that you do for Valentine's Day? How do you do it right? So it goes, okay, he starts observing and it seems like people respond well when there's chocolates given. Okay, so he writes, I'm gonna give chocolates. And, and they seem to the, the ladies seem to respond well when you give flowers. Okay, I'll give some flowers. And, and they like dinner, so okay, I'll, I'll give dinner. Uh, and, and a card, okay, okay, I got a card. So he formulates, this is how I do it. And he follows everything to a T. And then year by year, he just continues to do the same thing. So you come home and you come home to, there's a box of chocolates, maybe half eaten, maybe full, we'll see. A box of chocolates, a card that he picked up from the dollar store, a flower and some microwavable dinner that he's left on the table for you. And he's not even there. 
Do you feel like that's a good Valentine's Day? Do you feel like he gets the point? No, because the whole point of all those trinkets and gifts where they were supposed to be expressions of love and the relationship was actually the important part. That's kind of the equivalent here. These guys were following all the things and listening and going, okay, I'll do that, I'll do that, but they missed the whole point, all the laws, all the prophets, all the stories. What were they all about? They were all about leading to Jesus, to have relationship with him. At the end of the book of John, in John 20, verse 31, Jesus says that, uh, or sorry, the book of John ends with this. It says, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Jesus makes this point, that the purpose of the Bible is not just to read the Bible for itself, but to bring us into relationship with Jesus Christ. The whole point is relationship, because the relationship is actually all that matters. God wants you to meet him through his word, to come to know him, to be forgiven by him, to be empowered by him, and to be transformed by him. So, how does God speak through his word through the Bible. How does God have a relationship with us through the Bible? Well, God speaks to his people through the Bible in two distinct ways. First, he speaks universally. That means God's word and how it is for everyone. When we read, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life, that message is for everyone. God's word has a universal message for all of mankind throughout history. The second way God speaks to his people through his word is personally. It's individual with a specific message for specific situations at a specific time. In our English Bibles that you have with you, there are two Greek words in the New Testament that are used uh, to, uh, that are translated to the word or the word of God. The first is the word logos. Now this word logos simply means what God has said or has to say to us. This is the word of God to everyone in general. It is your Bible from Genesis to Revelations. It's the Sermon on the Mound. It's the Ten Commandments. It's those things that are consistent for all of mankind, God's message to them. Now the Logos, this written word of God meant for everyone, is the foundation for the second way, uh, the second word of God that we see in the New Testament. And that is the word rhema. Now this word rhema speaks to a word of God to you personally. It is a specific message for a specific person at a specific time. The Holy Spirit makes the scriptures come alive and applies the scriptures to our lives personally in a dy dynamic or living way. So as an example, this past week I was meeting with two guys from our church and one of them was sharing about how he's been praying about what to do with his job. There's an opportunity to be able to have an advancement and look at a promotion, but in order to do that, he's going to have to do some more schooling. Doesn't really know about the whole doing some more schooling for a little while thing. And so he's been praying about that. And in his devotions, he's been reading through Proverbs. And suddenly a proverb became alive to him as he is reading. And Proverbs spoke about wisdom and the importance of attaining wisdom and seeking wisdom. And God used that proverb to speak to him specifically about his situation of question. Should I look at attaining this new knowledge, doing these 
this course to look at advancing my, my occupation. God can speak to us through his word that has a general meaning to everyone else, but it can have a specific meaning to us as his Holy Spirit makes it alive to us. So in other words, God takes his logos and he turns it into a rhema by the Holy Spirit. This is the process called illumination. God illuminates his word alive in us. If I can, just to make one more illustration, it's kind of the equivalent like this. Pretend you worked at a large firm and it, you were a tech consultant and the boss came and there was 600 employees at, at the company and he meets with everybody and he says, I really like the work that you're doing here. Great job, keep up the good work, he tells everybody and, and he leaves. Well, everybody's probably gonna feel great. That's a positive message, sounds good. But then think of it this way. Instead of being to everyone as a general message, he comes up to you at your workstation, looks at your screen and looks through all the stuff that you have, puts his hand on his shoulder and says, I really like what you're doing here. Great job, keep up the good work. Wow, that I think would be even more impactful, don't you? As he looks specifically at you and speaks specifically to what you are doing and where you are in your life. That's the equivalent of a rhema, a rhema word of God. When we engage with God's word, we invite and open ourselves up to God's spirit illuminating his word in us. See, the Bible is a, not a book simply meant to be studied. It's an invitation to encounter a God who is to be known and to be experienced. So with our remaining time together, I want to quickly look at how does a disciple engage with the Bible? I've got six quick ways that I want to run through. The first is this, we can read and study the Bible. Now, this is probably where your mind went to right away. Of course, we read, we study God's word. Uh, this is a, a fantastic way to engage God's word. If you haven't read your Bible, if that's not something you've done before, can I make a few real practical tips for you? First of all, Get a Bible that has a common language that you would understand. If you've been trying to read the Bible with an old King James Version, for example, there might be a lot of words you don't understand. If you spoke Punjabi, God's Spirit would speak to you in Punjabi because that's the way you understand. If you speak in English, he speaks to you in English. God wants to speak to you in a way that you understand. So find a copy of God's Word that's more understandable. We as a church often use the New Living Translation. And If you don't have a Bible that you have that's easy to read, we would love to give you one. Just contact us in the office. We'd be so excited to pass one to you. But find a Bible that, that's easier to understand. And then make time in your day every day because the Bible is not something to be memorized and learned. It's actually something to help us to find relationship with Jesus. So like any relationship, it's all about giving time. It's not about how much you read. It's, that you, it's the amount uh, and the regularity of time that you invest into the relationship. So with our three by five challenge, we've just been starting with a really simple challenge. Five minutes every day in God's word. Some of you are well beyond that and that's great, keep going. But if you haven't started, start with five minutes. Find a small portion of scripture and, and read through it. It's not again about reading as much as you can, it's about trying to find God and listen to him through his word. So read a few verses, stop and just ask yourself, okay, what is God saying here? Why did God have this passage here? Are there things that don't make sense to me? Circle that. Are there things that do that God's speaking to me? Highlight that. 
If you have questions, find someone else who knows Jesus and ask them to help with your questions. Or use study tools, a place like blueletterbible.org who has great uh, concordances and Bible dictionaries that can help you with this or commentaries. But, but spend time with God's word and time to just ask God and listen to him. And then say, God, what do you want to say specifically to me through your word here? So we can study and read God's word. That's number one. But there's five other ways still that we can engage God's word. Number two, we can listen to God's word. Again, we tend to default to always talking about how we can read God's word. But when the Bible was originally transcripted and written down, it was actually meant to be listened to. There's a great auditory tradition through the Old and the New Testament to listen to God's word being spoken. So if you're not a reader really, good news. You don't have to read. Listen. Download the YouVersion app on your, on your phone or on your tablet and listen to God's word. Or if your family, spend time each day and find someone who will read the Bible out loud. If you read actually out loud, study shows that you'll actually have greater retention and remember more of what you've read versus reading silently. And then it allows everybody else in the family to again listen to God's word together. Third way you can engage with God's word is we can memorize or meditate on God's word. Again, the purpose here is not just to listen or read and go through as if it's a chore to do. We're to meditate on it. Through the day, we learn to recite over and over again, trying to get God's word written on our hearts so that we don't even need to have it in front of us. It allows it to penetrate into our hearts, and in that it brings a heart change and a life change in us. Joshua 1.8 says this, Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Now maybe you find memorizing hard. Well, our fourth way of engaging with God's word actually can also be a great way to memorize scripture, and that is to sing it. Many of the parts of the Bible were actually written to be sung. The Psalms, for example. Singing is another great way to also memorize and meditate on God's word. I remember when I was a kid in church, we used to sing songs that were actually just scriptures put to melody. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. It's found in Psalm 51, 10 to 12. Uh, there's even some bands that have put out albums there that are actually just scripture being sung. You two years ago put a, a song out called 40, which is actually just the words of Psalm 40 to song. Or an artist like John Foreman who puts out The House of God Forever, which is just the words of Psalm 23. When we listen to song, we actually tend to remember words more. Think about it. Think about all the songs that if I started them, you could finish the lyrics. Song just has a way of helping to get things into our own hearts and into our own minds. There's a great app called Sing Scripture. Uh, it's a great way to memorize through song. And if you wanted, you could download that. Again, it's just Sing Scripture app, a great way to sing psalms or sing scripture together. Fifth way that we can engage with God's word is we can pray it. I don't know about you, but sometimes I find myself in life at points where I don't even have words and don't know how to pray. Have you ever been there? Whether it's from extreme joy or extreme despair, sorrow, or pain, sometimes there's no words that we can find to, to say what we want to say. But God's word can actually be a way for us to pray and it can equip us in a way of, again, talking with God and sharing our heart with him. 
We can find a, a prayer just even asking for a blessing like 1 Chronicles 4.10 or John 17, 20 to 23, and we can recite Jesus' prayer for unity when we see disunity around us. We can pray the words of Psalms 30, a prayer of thanksgiving, or the Psalm I mentioned earlier, Psalm 51, 10 to 12, create in me a clean heart. Maybe there's something in our lives that we just need to ask forgiveness for and that express that desire for God to cleanse us and renew us. Or pray the words of Matthew 6, 9 to 13, the Lord's Prayer, and use Jesus' words to help us pray. Finally, number six, the way that a disciple engages with God's word is we apply it. James chapter 1, verse 22 to 25 says this, But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like, Glancing at your face in a mirror, you see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. I know a lot of us don't use maps anymore, but pretend you were driving somewhere and you had no idea as you're driving cross-country through Canada and you had a map with a road system that had it all linked out of where to go but that map just sat, sat in the little side cabinet of your passenger door in your car and you never actually pulled it out and used it. Wouldn't really help you, would it? See, God's word is similar to having soap or deodorant. When I was a youth pastor, I had a lot of young men that were having to learn that there was such a thing as body odor. And so sometimes we would do discreet ways, like we would gift them at a gift exchange for Christmas a stick of deodorant. But you can have that. You can have a bar of soap, but it doesn't actually cleanse you. It doesn't do its work unless you apply it. God's word doesn't actually do anything until we actually apply it into our lives. That's the key, to apply God's word into our very lives. We need to allow God's word to direct us, to change us, and transform us. Transform the very way we live. Simply being able to recite something, we're no different than those religious elites that Jesus talked to. And we're going to miss the very point of it, which is to draw us into relationship with him. We need to use God's word to connect with him. Let's not fall into the danger of keeping our Bible engagement simply as a religious practice. We need to seek the Holy Spirit to illuminate his word and to bring it life into life in us so that we can apply it and live it out in our world. Again, if you haven't, I know we've been saying this a lot, but we really encourage you, sign up for our three by five challenge of five minutes of reading the Bible, engaging with God's word, five minutes of prayer, and five minutes of just listening to God. It's a great way to encounter God and to begin to have that rhythm of, of having relationship time with him every day. If you haven't signed up and you're doing it, I encourage you to sign up because we want to be in touch with you. We want to encourage you. We want to check in on how you're doing. We want to do this together as a church. I'm going to ask you if you'll join me as I just close in a word of prayer. And you can pray this for yourself. I want to pray for, for God to help us to engage with his word and to be changed by it. Dear God, please help me to find time in your word. I don't want to know about you. I want to know you. May your Holy Spirit bring your word to life in me and all of us. God, please change me. 
please renew me and help me to live out what you have to say for my life. Help me to see you and to know you through your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're watching and you've never had the opportunity personally to invite Jesus in your life, it's really as simple as this. It's saying and recognizing that I'm a sinner, I haven't done things perfect, and I need that Savior that we talked about earlier. That Savior that's really highlighted throughout the whole story of the Bible, Jesus, who came to save you and me from our sin, to help bring us back into right relationship with Him. It's just confessing that, asking Him to forgive you, and asking Him and committing to Him being the leader of your life. If you haven't done that before, and we would be so excited to come alongside you, to help start you in that journey, and help equip you. God bless you, church. Have a great week.